Café Rollist is your caffeinated tabletop RPG break. It started as our exclusive Patreon show, but following a survey with our supporters, I am happy now to share its most recent episode here with you. If you enjoy this show, please consider checking out our archive of a hundred or so additional episodes, which are still exclusive on Patreon. Hello, uh, welcome to another Café Rollist, back in our regular time slot and day. And today I'm joined uh, from across the Atlantic to, uh, by someone who woke up somewhat early. Uh, Marco, how soon is it on your side of the Atlantic? Oh, it's 9, 9 a.m. over here. It's not that early. <laughs> uh, that's okay. It's a nice way to start the day with Café Rollist, so that's coffee, so I, I guess uh, that's appropriate. Uh, could you introduce yourself briefly, uh, who you are and what you are about in the TTRPG scene? Yeah, uh, my name is Marco. I published, so in, in I don't know, in the 90s, me and my friends were playing a ton of GURPS and Hero System, and we greatly liked it, but we felt that Hero was too focused on unrealistically resilient human characters and we liked kind of the gearhead uh detail of GURPS but felt that it didn't scale well enough like GURPS supers the initial release was was pretty much a mess um and so you know we started looking at alternatives and my solution was to create a system that was you know inspired by both of those uh but had a lot of the you know had some new ideas uh and you know it was certainly carefully thought about right i wasn't just trying to copy what what they had done and we called it just another gaming system jags and published the first edition in 2001 and have essentially the third edition is out now we have a bunch of world books that have been really well received. Uh, it won Indie RPG Awards against, uh, for example, a Sorcerer Supplement uh, from Juan Edwards. It, you know, there was it was competing at the time and 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 won the award for best supplement for our post-apocalypse game. And, you know, it was really, and, and Jag's Wonderland, which is a supplement that uh, modern day horror, surreal horror world book has been well received by people who like it, although they usually typically hate the system. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, it's, 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 it's been okay. It's certainly nothing that anybody's ever heard of. Um, I would be shocked if anybody on the, on the podcast knew what it was. Uh, it's free. The PDFs are free. The books sell. Uh, you can buy the hardcover books on Amazon. Um, you know, they're print-on-demand. Um, it's not a commercial endeavor, uh, but we do pay our artists and contributors, uh, you know, market rates. So, um, yeah, if you like it, uh, if you if, if that strikes, you know, if, if you're looking for a system that's pretty universal, that can do a lot of different things, uh, you know, it's certainly worth checking out. It's got a full list of 
basically powers to do superheroes in the superhero world book that shows how you'd use that post-apocalypse and uh modern day horror as game books that have been published um that you can you can also check out so i would recommend it uh i got involved with callum uh when he suggested you know running a game we can talk about that in a second but i was like yeah i would definitely do that and i would use uh jags which was you know which seemed to me to be well suited you know to it uh even though mechanically it wasn't a very intense game and we could talk about role-playing theory as to how the rule system bears on on the game and stuff like that so anyway that's you know i think that's me Awesome. Uh, we've got uh, two ice-breaking questions uh, in on the show, which are related to the circumstances when this spin-off of my main show was started. Uh, it was related to what we call among us the, the Panini situation. Uh, what does the, your routine look like uh, currently? My routine how? Well, today you woke up and you're on the release podcast. But what's a, a typical day uh, in your in your life, and how uh, okay, does the how uh, does tabletop fit into that eventually? Well, uh, so I I got up, I walked my dog, um, got coffee, I logged into work, which I'm logged into right now on a VPN, um, but I blocked out you know, sometime this morning for the meeting. So I don't have anything pressing right now. Um, and, you know, then I I sat down and, and went over email, checked my obligations, um, <laughs> did some uh, 3D modeling, which is my hobby, my other hobby other than role playing. And you know, I'm working on improving my skills with 3D, uh, you know, 3D modeling. So I've got, you know, various uh, ideas and projects and, and tasks that I've set myself about. Um, every Monday night, I have a standard playtime for a game that I'm playing in. Generally on Saturdays, although not this past Saturday, I run a game uh, for a subset of the people that Callum played with. Um, so that's, you know, my, that's, that's roughly my schedule. I, I play computer games, uh, in the interim sometimes. So, yeah, I would say that's, uh, you know, I guess that's my schedule. It's not, uh, I don't think there's anything too exciting there. Uh, the, the 3D modeling, is it something you picked up somewhat recently? Because I thought it was quite interesting how you integrated that. Uh, with tabletop roping, oh. it was the first time I saw that, and since then I, I happened upon a a Chinese streamer who does something uh, somewhat similar. Uh, That's really was, interesting. Yeah, I'm, I wasn't aware anybody else was doing that. You know, I think I think I kind of pioneered it. Although I I would certainly be really cautious of saying I'm the first person to do anything. Um, but yeah, so so. I, I've been doing it for a couple of years. I'm self-taught. Um, I use the free software program Blender, and there's tons of free assets for Blender um, that I make 
good use of, including a, a few paid assets. Um, meaning that, for example, if I wanted to have a car and I couldn't get the car I wanted free, I could pay a few dollars. I mean, some of them, some of the models would sell for, for hundreds of dollars. I wouldn't be interested in those, but I could get, a, you know, I'd get something for, for a handful of dollars and, and use that in a scene. And the way that um, I do I do this, I guess we can talk about that now, is I started doing 3D environments for part of we did we have a post-apocalypse game where you go into these post-apocalypse dungeons installations and it's very explicitly dungeon-like with traps monsters treasure and stuff like that and i wanted to show the you know show the interiors and these bizarre post-apocalypse uh um installations with all kinds of weird technology consoles and automated gun robots and things like that and it was clear that the artwork for that book you know would cost a billion dollars for our vision of it and didn't have that kind of money although we did have some some really good artists that we worked with um you know for some of it because i'm not in any way shape or form an artist i can't draw um you know I can sketch like mildly well. I took some art classes in high school, so I could, you know, rough out a human form, but I'm, I'm just no good at doing, you know, commercial level art. But with uh, 3D uh, software, you know, I was able to make mock-ups of the interiors. We hired an actual 3D artist to do one shot, one or two shots of the interior. And I really like how it came out. And he was using commercial software, Maya, and I was using freeware software, SketchUp, which, uh, you know, produced a more cartoony looking view, which was fine for that project. But after looking into things, uh, I discovered that Blender, although it had a pretty steep learning curve, did, you know, photorealistic 3D or could do photorealistic 3D if you were decent with it. And so I started teaching myself that. And then one of the things that we did back when we were writing the post-apocalypse su uh, supplement was, you know, I was running a game for, for some people uh, on, on my side of the pond. And I was like, you know, I could put you into one of these installations. You know, it wouldn't be like a video game because it doesn't have that kind of client server setup, but I could run a screen share and we did that and people liked it. It was like, oh, that's cool. And then, but it was hard to navigate, you know, people in a 3D environment, especially if you're not driving, if you're just letting somebody else drive, makes it hard to, to know where things are. So we used map programs, like we're using Roll20 now, we, we were using Google Docs shared desktop application. And we did, um, so you'd have a, a 2D top down and a 3D out the, you know, out the viewport view. And then, you know, that together worked pretty well. And the idea was that you could show stuff that would be otherwise be very difficult to do in a 2D map. So there are some applications for which the 3D is really excellent in Jack's Wonderland, which takes place partially in like other levels of reality 
there are etcher style uh, buildings, you know, staircases to nowhere and, and uh, you know, things, you know, things are on the ceiling versus, uh, you know, and, and, and stuff like that, stuff that would be or or a, a, a very multi-level varied environment that on 2D, you, you just kind of have a hard time, you know, with things on top of each other. You'd have a hard time showing that on a traditional map. Or, and the other thing is that sometimes, you know, I'm not great, but I can get a fairly striking vision. You know, I'm thinking of the one you chose for your background, um, the time we played, where, you know, it's like a city street, kind of gloomy looking. There's a neon hotel sign glowing over at the end of the street. There's, you know, movie posters for weird movies on the bus stop and stuff like that. So sometimes you can get a, a striking view that is that that is is something you you wouldn't really be able to narrate as well. You know, or or you know, that it, it, it's an adjunct to good narration. Yeah, it worked quite so. well also uh I mean at the center of our, of the campaign you ran for us, a campaign, a short campaign, if we can argue about what is a one shot and what is not. <laughs> we we had a, a beautiful Mustang Shelby, which you had the model of, and that was really cool. And I especially enjoyed the, I mean, yeah, the, the first session was already really cool. The, uh, what do you call that? Uh, the the cars dealership we we went to and so you had all the cars yeah. on display and and a car another car than ours had a part to play in that in that uh, episode uh, that that was really cool and fascinating but I really liked also the one we had in the the middle of the desert uh, alongside uh, Route sixty six and uh, how we were. I mean, it really came across how remote it was, and you you had a canyon with a bridge and this uh, petrol station lost in the middle of a completely abandoned and remote place. Uh, that was really cool. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think that there are, you know, uh, if somebody said, you know, well, I'm not too interested in in doing this because, you know, there's a there, you could make an argument that a player's imagination is in some cases preferable to a picture the same way that in some cases a book can have an amazing impact because of the way you imagine it as opposed to a film of the same story. <clears throat> um, you know, I wouldn't argue with that. I wouldn't tell somebody that, that that's not, you know, that that's not true. I think it, it certainly is true. Um, but I also think that there are, are a few situations where you know it's 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 it, it is substantially better and if you can manage to do it there is some value in doing that although i i would i wouldn't ever say you know this is the new way of doing it and and now you should all be doing it this way that's not what i think at all <laughs> so but yeah so coming back to to just another game system, uh, so how long ago did you started that, and what what was the drive? Was it uh, to improve on GURPS, or was there something 
else you, hate, you really wanted. I hate the idea of saying that it was to improve on GURPS. So, so we were. So we have always done my my circle. That includes my brother Eric and other people that I game with. Have always done a huge number of different genres and uh, scenarios. Rarely using published world books, and we also at one point. We're playing a lot of games that changed up a lot. So, for example, you'd start out as normal people. You get superpowers, in some cases, completely randomized, <clears throat> kind of like villains and vigilantes. Um, and then there would be, you know, a very a variety of adventures then. So, and 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 you'd have, you know, whatever was going on in your normal life would continue. Uh, so you need to have detail there. Um, versus wherever you know whatever powers you got you know would be like a whole secret world so you need to have rule sets that would carry that um and you know there's a lot of fiction that's like that i think that um there's i think it's i think it's legitimate to have those kind of games that very change in scope very substantially there was there was a game i remember <clears throat> when we were in high school where all of us got like these giant kaiju monsters that we could drive and would fight with other enormous kaiju type things. And, and the systems that we were using for that just didn't do a really good job of that, um, mechanically speaking. And that was fine. I mean, you know, it wasn't like it, we, couldn't, we couldn't figure it out. It was, it was Hero System, which is a very flexible system. But it didn't, um, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't, capture precisely what we wanted. We also wanted to do a game where, where everybody was like a, a high school student kind of karate kid where everybody is learning martial arts, but you're really not especially good at it, right? Yeah. So you're all like orange belts, <laughs> you know, and, but we wanted to have the way you fought, the way that the mechanics worked be different. And that was something that Heroes Danger International did a really good job with where, you know, you'd have a different martial art form and it would have different moves and so you would distinguish the character based on that choice uh, of, of character design it would have mechanical you know differences and then like you know oh this guy's a big dude maybe we should have the grappler fight them versus GURPS which which the GURPS martial arts book was not great mechanically speaking it had yeah you know, it had some issues with it but um, that wasn't even out yet so so we were, you know, we were trying to do do games that had really good mechanical flexibility and depth. So imagine that you were playing a D&D game and the game master said, I'm going to run a game where all of you are members of the Thieves Guild. So there's going to be a guild infighting and, you know, raids against other guilds and, you know, internal politics. And plus, you're going to go on these thieving missions where you know you decide to go after a noble's house or you go into a dungeon or whatever, right? Well, in D and D fifth edition, it's like, okay, so who's our thief skilled cleric? And that actually might make sense, right? Maybe there's a god of thieves, and so the thieves guild employs some clerics. But class wise, you know, profession wise, you'd all be thieves. Class wise, you'd still have to have somebody who's a fighter, right? Or else you know, the way the system works, you're going to be kind of screwed 
going in, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, D and D mixes proficiency and profession as part of your, your definition. So, you know, the question would be, but if the GM said, no, you know, this is a thieves guild campaign, you're all thieves, you know, you just have to be different kinds of thieves. So if you want to heal, you know, let's see if there's some feats that will give you the ability to heal or buff other party members. And I don't know, you know, where D&D has gone these days, but I imagine that if you're, you know, if you choose the thief tree, those are probably pretty far between, you know, there's probably not that much of them. Or you're going to be, you know, the highwayman heavy duty guy. So, but you can't be a fighter. You have to be a thief who whose primary job is fighting. You know, you would have some trouble with that. I think doing that mechanically in D and D, you know. So the idea, one of the ideas behind Jags was to to make sure that whatever role you took, there was an enormous amount of depth that you could use to distinguish your character. So, like, if you're being, you know, a a teenage martial arts guy, you know, the other thing in Danger International, they did a really good job of that. The martial arts packages were, exp- were comparatively very expensive. So if you chose one of them, you know, that was a lot of a lot of your character points. And there wasn't a way to have or there wasn't a good way to have just a little bit of them. You could like start slowly buying a package, you know, because the packages did have kind of a breakdown, you know, but then people wanted to build their own packages. and That always turned out to be kind of a kind of not work too well. So, you know, one of the ideas behind Jags was that you could be like a low level you know, teenage martial artist or everybody could be fundamentally a thief, but you would still have these different roles that you could fulfill or different axes on which you could develop your character. So how do you specifically deliver that with Jack? So what what is the, the system like uh, for people who didn't play it? Well, so mechanically speaking from uh you know 10,000 foot view it's going to look a lot like hero or gurps um you've got stats you've got character points and you've got list of skills and traits the the distinction comes in and first off skills have four levels as opposed to a role so you could have level one which is beginner level or level four which is like world-class master level So, and those can do significantly different things. So for example, for locksmith level one is you can kind of, you know, pick into, you know, you can like slide your credit card into the, into the lock and and get it open or, you know, use a pen and a paper clip to open an interior door, but nothing really secure. If you try to go after a secure lock, you're going to be big negatives at level two, your professional level, you know, you can, you can open exterior doors. Uh, you can lock pick your way through most facilities at level three. You're like a safe cracker, right? You, you understand these much more complicated tumbler locks, you know, and at level four, you know how to get into vaults and it, it's not just the ability to hack to crack a vault. Um, it's also knowledge of how those things, security systems work and things like that. So if you're, you know, if you're going after the Nakatomi building vault, you, you want to get a level four, you know, uh, expert who would understand those things. You know, that's from the movie Die Hard, you know, so, so, or the movie, uh, uh, 
Army of the Dead, where they they are going after a Las Vegas vault with these active death trap defense systems. So they get this guy who's like the best vault cracker in the world. That would be an example of a level four skill, and and that person would be able to make rolls to know, you know, what those traps are like, and and would then you know be able to have a go at actually hacking the the unhackable vault. Um, so that was one thing that we did because we wanted there to be a distinction between low level and high level skills. That wasn't just having a low roll because just blowing a roll at a time was frustrating. Um, <clears throat> one thing that we did that Jags I think does well is that it's got a particularly, uh, I don't want to say realistic, but that we don't use the term realism. We used verisimilitude for damage. So if you're a normal human who's shot by a nine millimeter gun on an average decent hit, meaning that they, they scored a hit reasonably well, uh, the, the general result is, is one shot will take you out. You know, it'll result in unconsciousness or, or internal damage bleeding out, you know, and we, we felt like, like setting that as a baseline solved for a lot of the, behavior that we were seeing in, in games where people had you know a large number of hit points and weapons did a fixed amount of damage so it's like you know well i can go in there and i can take two or three hits and i don't really have much to worry about you know um you know stuff that you wouldn't see in like a movie that's why we, i'd call it versatility or you wouldn't just see the guy go in there you know unless unless they're armored you know or or you know uh explicitly superhumanly tough so those are things that we that we did that we thought were you know there, there, there's some mechanical choices the harder you are to hit the less damage you take so if you have a character like spider-man who's very hard to hit he doesn't have to also be armored or super super tough because when you do hit him you'll do a lot less damage so I, I see on on offer you've got the the core rule book, uh the revised edition. We've got also revised archetypes. Yep. You got Jack's Wonderland, Jack's Have Not, and Jack Holiday City, but these are not different games. You you have the core books and then you got worlds and and, and yeah, archetypes. So what are what are each of them uh, exactly uh, about? So the core book is the basic rules. You can play normal human. Archetypes is all the superpower rules. We we separated character points from superpower points. There's there's a reason for that, <clears throat> and that reason is if if you just give so let's say that a normal character is built on and let's say this is in hero or GURPS or or Jags, a normal character is built on about fifty points. So I can build a proficient dude. I can build like, you know, your basic like army guy, not not a special forces dude, or, you know, your basic cop, you know, on 50 points. If I build like a grade school teacher, I'm going to have a bunch of points left over. <clears throat> if I build a, a teenager, I can do that on, you know, 20, 30 points, something like that. So then I build a superhero on, you know, 250 points. What that means is that anything, any any characteristic for a normal person that is priced so you can be decent at a fifty with fifty points, 
means that for a minuscule investment, you can absolutely blow out, you know, those normal functions, which which is which is fine for a lot of characters, right? Spider-Man is supposed to be super duper bright, even though in combat he fights as well as as well as or better than a lot of other superheroes. So he obviously didn't pay a huge price for being super duper smart. But it can also be really problematic where if you want to, you know, if, if there are characteristics that that you want to be to be more in line with normal society, um, you know, when you give someone it, just a ton of points, if it's in the same pool, then you wind up with, oh, and by the way, my to hit skill is 27 or less just because, hey, it was cheap, you know, so so. We, we were seeing that behavior in, in some in some places and we worked out a method of diminishing returns that was very interesting but it was you know people had a really hard time using it because you know each new point cost strangely more than the others and stuff like that so that was something that was a bit um you know people found a bit difficult to deal with and after we went through you know, some iterations of this, we just said, hey, let's break off the points you use to buy superpowers from the points you use for normal character stuff. That's archetypes. <laughs> um, so that's a catalog of superpowers that, that cover a wide spectrum. Uh, they, you know, we did have a concept of balance. I think that's worth having a conversation of in terms of RPG theory. So I won't go into it too detailed right now, but we built uh software simulators and ran millions of combats trying to get the prices correct oh wow so that's an inter yeah that was an interesting result um you know and we learned stuff we had we had a system that we liked for normal people and we learned some things that we didn't really expect about how you know how that would work <clears throat> um you know for example we we learned that the first few points of an attack power were worth more than subsequent points in terms of you know an attack that does a small amount of damage because armor and jags can absorb damage you know having a a, a very low power laser beam was useless was was worth essentially zero points because if anybody had you know any armor it was useless against them <laughs> um so up to a certain level, it was worth zero points. But then once it cleared what most people had for armor, it would start becoming worth more and more. And once it cleared, you know, enough damage to take somebody out in one shot, it was more valuable. So, you know, we 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 worked stuff around that. Um, and you know, you don't have to know any of that to know how to use the to know how to buy powers out of the book. We also have a software program online that allows you to build characters it's pretty good um and it has all the powers in it and stuff like that so you know if character generation was proving hard for people they can use the online character generator and that'll probably be published to our website sometime i would hope in a few months awesome <laughs> um there's a couple of modifications yeah so we did that um and then so then the books are um have not which is, uh, you know, versus haves and have-nots. That's a post-apocalypse world book, and it's a, after a really bizarre post-apocalypse. So, you know, there was like this age of called the Age of Wonder. So 
Gamma World, right? If you if you remember Gamma World from TSR, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have this case where you'd have people running around with slug throwers and you know black ray guns, right? And the kind of society that builds a a Mark Seven blaster rifle is probably not going to put a lot of resources into building a machine gun. So, you know, why do people have both of those? Because the Gamma World tribes didn't build, um, you know didn't build the machine gun it's not like like we lost the technology to build the blaster rifle but we can still crank out you know firearms so the question is why do you have all of that stuff and we really liked the kind of the craziness of of gamma world and there were a few other crazy apocalypse games that we liked and um archetypes pro- provided the rules to build wild mutants um but we also wanted to have a world where you could have these different, uh, you know, different levels of technology. So the idea was that there was this age of wonder where these mental mutants called the haves built these domes that they kind of retired to these impenetrable domes. And then they created these fabrication plants that churned out wonder technology for everyone. And then one day all of that stopped and the fabrication plants went haywire kind of before slowly shutting down so you know people who twigged the fact that this wasn't going to get better you know if they owned a fabrication plant they would be able to make stuff but it was random as to what they got so they might get you know blaster rifles and power armor in which case they were going to do great taking over the nearby lands but they also might just get like mannequins and and super sharp glass blades (laughs) mannequins that could like mannequin robots so you know you might build an army of these super ninjas with these hyper glass blades because that's what you got access to (laughs) you know so the idea was that there's just all kinds of bizarre random weird stuff um in this this you know post-apocalyptic wasteland um and there's all these installations that um you know that are left over from the time of wonders and that contain all kinds of weird things that you go into. And that's, you know, kind of how your characters level up and stuff. So, so, uh, Jags have not, it's a post-apocalypse. It's a, it's a wild post-apocalypse. And then, uh, Wonderland, um, is based on the works of Lewis Carroll. I did a ton of research it was based on a game. You know, I had run a game that was kind of like that in the nineties and it got, you know, people who played and it really thought it was a good idea. And it was based on the idea that, that there's this infectious alternate reality. And that's so like when you get exposed to something, an impossible thing, um, which can, which is rare, but it can happen. Then you start suffering these catastrophic descents into lower levels of reality called different chessboards um where things are either kind of the same as they are up here which is a, like a, a shallower level mm-hmm. or really different which is like a lower level and themes get propagated so like if i'm on chessboard zero which is reality and i suffer descent down to chessboard one um which is like the first the first sub level then it's kind of like all the billboards in that movie they live if you ever seen that yeah yeah, like, yeah. i love like i love that monthly, movie like the money has, like this is your god printed on it and 
you know, everything is like super honest in, 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 in really disquieting ways. Um, and then I go down to like level two and, and everything is like silent Hill. It's like decayed and, and falling apart and there's monsters. Or I go down to level three where things, you know, are sort of, uh, very metaphysically the same. So, you know, everything is really, you know, kind of like the essence of it is, 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 vis- is, is instantiated. And then levels four or five and six are, are just, you know, where the wild things are. They're just bizarre. And there's these evil entities uh, from the books, which are called the caretakers that, you know, are, are like literary devices that dislike man. So, so, you know, that's, that's a book of modern day horror. Uh, it's got, you know, some, it's got some interesting mechanics for handling infection and descent and things like that. Also, you can get twisted down on lower levels where aspects of your personality become like superpowers, um, especially negative aspects of your personality. Like if you're sharp tongued, you can get, you know, you can get like a a literal bladed tongue um, that you can use as an attack. So characters can become highly warped and twisted down there, you know, in non-human ways. Um, And, you know, we we put a lot of thought into how we did that, right? Because Mm -hmm. the idea is, you know, there's, there's a big element of mental illness to it when you descend a version of you, your shadow, which exists on lower levels normally, you normally cast a shadow down there, pops up. And so you have this memory of, you know, fighting these monsters or being lost in this bizarre maze. But what other people saw is your shadow behaving really bizarrely. So they think, you know, Bob is going insane. Wow, and then when you revert to normal, you don't, you know, your memory is of fighting monsters, but people, you know, you, you, you know, you wind up, you know, in a, in the jail cell or something having behaved, you know, really bizarrely. And, you know, this was one of the things that we, and, and this was published quite a while ago, I guess 2008, I think. Yeah. And, you know, we said, you know, talk with your players, the players, including the game master of the player, all kind of have to agree how you're going to handle mental illness in this, because, you know, that's a real thing. And, you know, and everybody has to be on board. No one's, you know, not people who, who either have struggled with this in reality or, or, you know, just find it incredibly disempowering or, or humiliating are not going to have a good time if their character is really ruined by, you know, or if their, their play session is really ruined by having this descent happen, um, you know, where, where then all of their, their friends or their professors or whatever have seen them behave in this socially unacceptable way. So we said, you know, there's like different ways you could play the game. You could say like, you know, totally go after me. I think this is, I want to experience how this would work. Or you could say, you know, just make, you know, yes, my shadow behaves strangely when I'm undergoing descent, but I don't want anything really bad to happen because of it. And the GM is expected to, you know, to, to know that and structure the game that way. 
And, you know, when I saw stuff like the X card and things like that, and there was a recent thing about a game that was happening online where somebody really violated, the Game Master really violated the player's expectations and, and you know, made her feel very uncomfortable. Comfortable, you know, and I, I, I thought about that, and I, I'm glad that we included that stuff you know, that guidance in the rules, even if people didn't follow it, it, you know, I'm glad it's in there. So Wonderlands and I've not, uh, what was the process for those to, to happen? Did uh, the, the idea came from you and then you developed it with players or did you write it and then with try players. to run it? Or? No, I, I developed it. Well, well, we ran a bunch of games in it. Um, I worked with Eric as a co-author on it, and and you know we had 20 years of gaming to draw on. So you know we had a lot of these ideas floating around that were were pretty easy to interpret along those lines. And then when it came to doing things like the twist, we didn't have the archetype rules at the time, and so that would be would ideally be updated. We didn't have the software testing for for you know verisimilitude or, or balance but you know in terms of mechanics we knew the system pretty well and were able to come up with uh with abilities and stuff and and you know and, and i mean you know it's, it's proven to be pretty pretty good also you know we, we we had some balance concepts even back then the concept of the mirror match right if your character if a character who's got greater than human cap combat capabilities fights themselves it shouldn't just come down to who fires first right there should be enough you know the mirror match should be like a decent fight that could go either way not a one shot you know kill so that kind of speaks to the idea that you want your ability your offensive ability and your defensive ability to be slightly linked so in terms of like play testing that um we didn't need to do a whole heck of a lot. We had some pretty good guideposts, I think, that we, we made use of. Um, cool. You know, uh, and, and in terms of in terms of creating it, we just we just wrote it, rewrote it, did a bunch of research. I did a ton of research on Lewis Carroll, talked to some psychologist, you know about how a contagious mental illness would work or be treated and what, you know, what the name of it should be and stuff like that. Interesting. I was wondering, you mentioned references, which is the, the hero system and GURPS and uh, s some of the games you, you mentioned like superhero and dealing with things and balancing yeah. them. I, I was wondering, are there, are there other more recent games which you you tried and to add uh, interesting ideas that you you borrowed from or that that uh, what's the word uh, uh, compelled you? Uh, no, maybe not compelled, but uh, well, well, we well, we, you know, I I I mean, you know, so first off, I'm I'm not I'm not super familiar with all the most recent games. There's so many, but it's difficult. Huh? Consider, well, sure, but I mean, you know, you know, I, I, I was, I was living next to a guy. I met a guy at, at the local gaming shop who we became friends with, 
Um, and he was very into the indie gaming scene and philosophy. So he ran Dogs in the Vineyards for us. He wanted to try Nobilis. So we tried that. And we tried a bunch of these games. And, you know, and we, we tried playing them explicitly, totally by the rules. Like, you know, no rule zero. You know, if the rule, he ran Sorcerer for us. Um, you know, n no rule, which is like the er indie game. Um, and we also, you know, had a really good time doing it. I mean, you know, these games were fun, and any time that there was a a rule that didn't quite work out right, um, you know, we make note of it, and I would like try to write a blog post about it. And, you know, I remember talking with Vincent Baker, the guy behind Dogs in the Vineyard and uh, Powered by the Apocalypse and stuff like that, one of the guys, you know, and, and talking about how, you know, how how we used his game in practice and how, you know, I, it was one of his fantasy games. I forget which which what the name of it was. But I had, like, diagrammed the relationships between our characters and, you know, said, you know, th this is kind of thing, you know, was really handy when running this game because the game kind of hinged on some of that. And so that was, you know, and, and I mean, you know, he thought it was, he thought it was good. Um, he thought it was useful information. So, you know, were we inspired by them? I would say, you know, to a degree, but, you know, the uh, like one of the games that we were inspired by that I thought was really cool was Villains and Vigilantes. I don't know if you ever played that. I have not yet, no, but uh, um, I heard a lot of it. There's a there was a UK ripoff version of it that was kind of cool too. So the idea in Villains and Vigilantes was a you played yourself, which is a kind of a recipe for disaster, <laughs> you know. Um, but also B, you played yourself with randomized superpowers, which was very cool. So we, we gave up with playing ourselves because systems for you, you're playing yourself didn't really, you know, we didn't really like how that, I mean, we, we, <laughs> we did it a little bit, but the results were not uh, good, you know, and uh, you know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> you know, how to, how, how, how to get your, your, your how to get your friends to to say bad things about you <laughs> um you know plus how do you tell the guy with the 18 strength that you think he's got a four intelligence you know it's like eh. <laughs> you know okay well i don't think we're gonna do that but um anyway but but we really like the idea of the randomized powers because it create it if you create your own character often you create like some version of superman yeah you, you, you don't have the points for that but you, uh, you tend to have crutches you rely on uh... yeah or or you know i'm wolverine again or i'm batman you know it's like this team is superman wolverine and batman again you know and also sometimes with randomized power you just get really weird things you know like I had a character with a pet. I rolled like some kind of pet, and I was like, "You know, what kind of pet can I have?" I was like, "Giant sea monster." 
you know, and that was like bizarre, but it was, you know, it was kind of cool. You know, had to figure out how to how to use that in the in the in the campaign. But you know, every now and then you just get these wild ideas spurred by a random role, and you wouldn't get characters. Also, you know, champions' advice on building a character was like give them an attack, a defense, and a movement power. And if everybody did that, you know, you got some really similar cookie cutter heroes and you didn't get guys who were just like the key martial artists. Cause like, what's his movement power? You know, well, maybe he can jump between buildings real well, but if you've got guys who can fly and teleport, it's not really going to cut it. So, you know, the kind of the sameness and the, 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 the drive towards, you know, if you're on a team where everybody flies and you don't, you either wind up being carried around or, or, you know, or something. I mean, I'm not saying there's no solution for these things. Obviously there are, you know, and, but, but, you know, people aren't mindful of, of those imbalances or, or those quirks, you know, then you can have problems in, in just the logistics of a play or the logistics of imagining how everybody fits together. And, you know, but I, the idea of the, these randomness. So, so in Holiday City, there's rules for random power generation. You know, it's a point-based system, so you roll for power categories, and then you can spend your points how you want on those on those categories. And most of those categories include enough for you to have defenses. And if you don't, if you don't like what you've gotten you can just go with the extremely talented, you know, extremely tough, normal guy person, which, you know, you know, the Batman option. Mm -hmm. So, so that was, that was an inspiration was villain and vigilantes there, but that's kind of much older school than I think we're talking about. I mean, it's interesting to see uh, what your influence are. Uh, we're getting close to the, the one hour mark, but I was wondering what's, what's the future like for Jags uh, at this point? Uh, what, is there anything you, you know that you're going to release soon beyond uh, the, the character well, builder uh, yeah. software? Yeah, we have a, we have a space book that has a really interesting um, spaceship combat system that seems to work very well. Unlike most most space games that I played in, I would be reluctant to have the characters be in a lot of spaceship combat because that seems like a good way to have a total party kill. Mm -hmm. And you know, we we ran a game where we were all like fighter pilots and were able to go through numerous combats without you know with with actual danger to the to the pilots and the ships. But it, it tracked reasonably well for what you would expect in a, in a normal, you know, ground-based game, you know, because the, and, and, uh, and also how do you handle three-dimensional combat, right? Yeah. Do you, how do you handle, you know, yeah, three-dimensional combat is really tough to handle, even if you use a 3D battle map which it's possible to do, right? You can have two 2D maps, one of which is the X and Y axis and one of which is the Z axis. <clears throat> or you can just say it's a 2D map and we just ignore the 3D element of it. Those are things you can do and they do work. Although the 
3D, the, the two 2D maps su supplementing for 3D is, is really hard to wrap your head around. You know, I, I know of a war game that did it. And that, that game always boggled me. But, um, but you know, those are cool ideas. But we, <laughs> my brother who was working on it came up with the first ever, I think, one-dimensional battle map where you just have a straight line and <laughs> all of the extra dimensions are hand-waved. You either move closer or more or further apart from each other. Oh, and interesting. I was like, I was like, this sounds like the stupidest thing ever, but it works. It worked really well, you know. Narratively, it worked. It worked well because, yeah, and, and you would you you would describe it like you would any three D thing, but it told you where you were in relationship to the other ships, which is the most important thing. It allowed like weapon ranges to work, and um, and then you know he wrote a Python battle simulator so that we could you know we could like have different kinds of, of ships and fighter ships and things like that. So, so we have a space book, uh, the PDF with this, with these rules is available. So somebody was like, I really want to play in the space system, you know, something that we can, you know, we, we, we can get people to play test. Some people have requested it. Um, the other thing is, um, <clears throat> so I ran a game, where in around the year 2000 there was like this 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 collision of realities where these gigantic buildings of unknown or structures kind of started appearing and people may have vanished but you know they, but because time seems to have been uh, affected you know there's like people have have vague feelings that people they may have known vanished but there's no evidence of it. Um, and if you know of the book of the of the game system, um, I'm trying to remember uh, the something the loop. Uh, Tales from the loop. Tales from the loop. Yeah. Uh, this game is what I imagine Tales from the Loop is. I haven't. I've intentionally not read the book. I love the artist. The artist guy is freaking phenomenal. I mean, his stuff is so evocative and weird. I haven't read the game book. I did watch a, a bit of the, the Amazon Prime show. Um, I didn't really like it, but, um, but you know, once again, you know, the guy, the artist guy is so, so incredible. And I ran a game in this world where they're like these these relics of an alternate reality, you know, that seems to be kind of from that seems to be kind of informed by the 70s or the, you know, the 80s in terms of its design, even though it uses hypertech. And there's like, you know, like these building type structures, you know, five miles tall, just show up in like an urban area and you can't really get into them. But and there's you know so there's and there's some technology that that we can extract from it like electric you know vehicles powered by broadcast power and things like that um, that have sort of started creeping into into uh, people's lives and you know I ran it as like a kids on bikes game where that you know kind of like Stranger Things um, where the characters were basically high school students. 
And there's, you know, the, the concept was that there are some people for whom the technology reacts badly, like it crashes around them or it behaves aggressively or, or uh, unusually. And so the character, these people are called wrongs. And so these characters are, the characters are wrongs and they have like this weird relationship to the technology where, where it may not be friendly to them uh, or maybe it just recognizes them in weird ways. Um, and so that was kind of a long running campaign. And, you know, it's been suggested that we do a, a world book based on that. And I have been thinking about how we would do that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I imagine. But it's, essentially it's, it's by, inspired by that guy's art, which, yeah. you know, I can't approximate in 3D, <laughs> but I'm nowhere near as good as he is. Yeah, maybe on so, art stations. I mean, he inspired other artists, but I, I can imagine it's difficult to to have some art inspire you a game, and then you design the game, but you cannot have access to the art, or you're going to purchase it. It's well, frustrating you know, to, to well, get your mind around well, getting something does. else. <laughs> yeah, he does artwork for RPGs, but I've oh, he does, yeah. a couple of times, and he wouldn't yeah, he did artwork for Tales from the Loop, the RPG, and After the Flood. I mean, he he he's aware of it. Oh, so, definitely, yeah. You know, he knows. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, he 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 could, but I don't think I don't think I'm on the list of uh, of people he he'd work with. So with the right price, oh, he probably would, but that would be a high price. Art is already expensive as it is. Well, let me let let me let me let me tell you a quick story about that. Go so, ahead. Do you know who Dan Brown is? He wrote the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So he also wrote a book called Angels and Demons, which had these ambigrams in it, right? W words that are written so that they look the same right side up as upside down. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's a way of changing the letters. So for Wonderland, I was like, we've got to have an ambigram, <laughs> you know. For Wonderland, because you know, if you're going to do Wonderland through the Looking Glass, right? You want the word Wonderland that looks the same, right side up as upside down. And so I reached out to the to the to the to the artist who worked for Dan Brown, and I asked him. I was like, "Man, you know, you know, you, you know, your work is phenomenal. What would you charge us for for Wonderland?" And you know, he was like, "Well, what do you want to pay?" Which is a it's the the right answer. It's a great answer. There's just one way that it's a bad response. And that is when the person tells you, well, I could pay like 150 bucks for it. You don't get to get upset and be like, oh, I am the artist of, you know, Dan Brown. And, you know, how dare you insult me? <laughs> you know, he, he, he got, he was snippy and, and came back with this, this really, you know, snarky reply about our, the, the offer it's like you know i don't know what you charge for word art you know i'm you know if you told me your prices i would i you know people have told me their prices i have never been like oh that's too much you suck you should be charging less that you know that's just never worked that way it's always i've always been very cordial i've been like you know in the future maybe we could work together if i have a higher a bigger budget you know no problem but, you know, he asked how much, you know, we would pay and it wasn't nearly enough for his skill. 
So he, he bailed on it. And one of the things he said was, you know, Wonderland wouldn't make a good ambigram anyway. He was like, yo, it, it, you know, and it, I was like, huh. So there was this guy on like deviant art, you know, who was, who was, um, who was doing ambigrams and I found him and I was like, dude, you know, can, can I get you to give, you know, a try? You know, we're, we're doing this, this game world. Can I, can, you know, can I get you to give it a shot? And he was like, sure. And I was like, you know, what would you charge? And he was like, oh, you know, $10, $15. And I was like, you know, well, I can pay you a bit more than that. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're willing to do it, you can do a good job. It's got to be like legible. You know, we want it to be readable, which a lot of these ambigrams aren't. Yes. And so I'm putting it into chat uh, if I can find. I'll put it into the Zoom. Yeah, because chat. I'm looking on your website. I cannot find the ambigram. No, I want to see the ambigram. No, no, it's on, it's on page. Um, it's on page uh, nine of the uh, Wonderland book. I'm not downloading it right now because it would crush the stream. <laughs> I'm gonna have a look yeah. afterwards. Well, 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 yeah. Well, hang on. I can put the link. I just put it. I just put it into our into our Americana chat. Ooh. What is it? Is it the link to the Wonderland book? Yeah, I put. I put it in. I put it in. I put the 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 the, the image. Into oh, okay. The Americana chat into the Google chat. Okay, let me check. Uh, too many things. opening yeah it works you can read wonderland it is it's really nice yeah i mean i mean i'm like you know <laughs> a dan brown is overrated and you ambigram guy are definitely overrated <laughs> even yeah. though the ambigram guy dan brown got was in fact really good <laughs> but, but i was like ha ha you know, gotcha. <laughs> you know, you probably wouldn't have. He probably wouldn't have done as good a job, and he priced himself out of. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, uh, that yeah, asking people well, what how much they're willing to give. It's yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, it's, it's fun, everybody right? should you... remain cordial. I think. I think uh, you're, yeah. it's the right approach if an artist gives you their price and it's way beyond your budget. That's yeah. life. That's that means right. that means they get work. They got enough work, yeah. which they are paid that, and they, they deserve it. So absolutely, that's all. yeah. I would never begrudge somebody a price I can't pay. You know, I would lament that you know we can't work together right now. That's it. I think you you very quickly you know when you're a freelancer and you start doing jobs, uh, you you very quickly lose track of. I mean, there's not there's not a, a reality per se, but I remember early in my career, I was a freelance architect, and I remember getting raises, which were in hindsight really ridiculous because they they were I was paid so cheaply, but I felt like the king of the world because suddenly I was paid I don't know 
$12 an hour instead of $8. It's like, oh, right, yes, right. yes, that's amazing. Right. And at the same time, yeah. doing doing a job which is similar and you're lucky or you, you ended up in circumstances when you are paid $25, $50 an hour. I mean, I'm applying for jobs right now. I'd be happy to be paid anything. And the, the prices are just completely different. And But when you used to get $60 an hour jobs and where you get offered a $15 job, you're like, what? what is that about? Uh, that's ridiculous. And it's true in some way. <laughs> I guess, but yeah. yeah, it's just once once you you get used to something, things. I, I guess it's the toad in the hot bath. You know, suddenly things feel very cold or very warm, based on not an actual objective value, but just because of where you're sitting. Is, you know, in, in, it be you know when I hire people, right? I put what I can pay, right? I say I expect this job. You know, I expect to have, you know, $400 for this set of artwork or whatever. I put that on, on Upwork, the hiring platform that I tend to use. And I put underneath that, I say, by the way, if, if you look at the requirements and you think that's way out of line for what I'm asking for, by all means, tell me what you think is in line for it, why you think it's in line and what you would charge for it. And let me know, because, you know, in, in, in a lot of these cases, you know, I'm not sure what, you know, what the market would command for it, but I'm forced to put a price in by Upwork. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, if you read it and you're just appalled that I'm paying so little, by all means, tell me. And I've gotten, you know, I've gotten uh, rave reviews from people who are like, well, you know, I can't take your job because it, it's not paying enough for me, but I really like the way you wrote your offer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, which, which, you know, there's no reason for anyone ever to say that. You know, they they weren't interested in taking the job and they weren't even offering, you know, uh, they weren't saying, you know, well, if you up your, your, your price, I'll take it. They were just like, you know, wow, I read that and, and it's so much better than the usual demands that I see on here. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, I guess I'm doing something right. I, I wanted to take a couple of seconds and talk about the Americana game. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's okay. Yeah. So for people who don't know, you know, uh, you know, I was on Twitter. I, I follow Callum. And, you know, someone posted these these pictures that were photorealistic. It turns out they were they were painted or drawn or something of these, these like, hotels. And, it, you know, I don't know, maybe you can put some of those pictures up. But it was like these sort of they – were, they were gorgeous – you know, like, like sunset pictures of these neon signs. And Callum was like, I'm interested in, in an Americana game. I'd love to do an Americana game. And I was like, I have ideas. <laughs> you know, I, that was what I thought. And I had no idea who he was, who you were. Um, I had no idea who you were either. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> and, and I was like, I'll run one. And then he took me up on it and and I was like, oh, wow, you know, and so the first thing that I was, you know, who is this guy? You know, where is he? You know, he's in Britain. <laughs> like, okay, not an American, you know, and I knew right away that this was going to be a really unusual game. You know, what's an Americana game? Well, there's like this concept of the great American novel, which is, I think if I have this right, somebody writes a book 
that really captures what it means to be in America at a, you know, a certain time period. And the idea is that if you write the great American novel, you'll get rich. And there have been several different books described as great American novels. Um, you know, the uh, Jack Kerouac's on the road and stuff like that. Um, and so I, you know, I was like, what, what is an Americana game? And I looked at these, these uh, pictures and they had the idea of you're going into this hotel after sundown to hide you know, the idea was that you're like kind of hiding from something, you know, in these, these roadside motels. Um, you know, I carefully looked at them and I was like, okay, so, so what's going on there? And so I, I you know, I knew that the game, you know, if it's going to be an Americana game, it will involve a road trip, which is like classic American, you know, vacation is you take a, you drive across, across America somewhere. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I did some research about you know, where you might want to go, um, you know, what were weird sites to see. And there's this Nebraska pyramid, which is a decommissioned nuclear defense site that would launch anti-missiles. Um, and so I started, you know, it, it cuts a striking picture. I, I looked into it um, and, you know, I knew so so first off i was playing with with people i didn't know too well i i, I knew eric would be playing who i knew really well and there was a guy uh who was also going to be playing who i knew i had worked with and had recently started gaming with us but i didn't really know his background in gaming too well i knew that he was an enthusiastic player and then of course it was callum who was a i didn't know anything about what he liked to play or how he played and, and B wasn't American. And so I, I, I had this, you know, this sense that this was a chance for me to, to say some stuff about America. Um, but you know, it wasn't, it was going to be for an audience that wasn't all American, which, which was in a way really good, but also very much changed how things might have been done if I had known everybody real well and you know knew where everybody stood. One of the the funniest things, the coolest things that I, that Callum said was, you know, he wasn't sure if if we were MAGA guys or not. <laughs> yeah, at some point I was concerned about that. It it was. I mean, I was just looking at the tweet. I, I found it. Uh, it was from December 9, twenty twenty. And, and, and yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to play American and stuff. And, and I didn't really think too hard about it. And to be honest, I like the look of the picture. I know I'm having a, a second proper look. And, uh, even the, the caption is strange roadside buildings where it's better not to go. And there's something like the sobbing stag. And it says in little sleep where they won't see you. So it, there's only a dark right. undertone, and yeah, and you you full on came with a concept which was uh, appealing, uh, but interestingly enough, I, I was saying saying uh, something about that uh, a bit earlier while while editing my show uh, here on stream was that there there are different games, and there are we were talking with someone in the chat room saying that he was invited to a game of Vampire the Masquerade. And he, he decided to leave the stream, not to take part to the stream when he realized that it would be set in the Middle East. And we were having this conversation and I was telling him, yeah, I, 
I'd love to play Vampire the Masquerade in the Middle East, but I would, ex yeah. Uh, if it's in private, it's fine. If it's on a stream, there would be a number of conditions. And and I really like your game, but at the same time, I was really like, I, I would not play that on stream because there's way too many things which could, uh, yeah, be be taken the wrong way by different people. But yeah, it was a blast to explore that with two, you and the, the two others. Two, three. Well, that, right. And, 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 and I, you know, and, and I also, you know, it was quite possible that you could have had a really negative opinion of America because of Trump or other things. <laughs> you know, so I didn't, I wasn't sure. And it's also possible that you, you might be, you know, uh you might kind of like trump um that's possible people people sometimes so f seem to forget that we've got a a brand yeah, new yeah, channel Boris guy <laughs> yeah we we've got a brand new channel which opened started today it started by Rupert Murdoch it's called GB News and it's pretty right. much a fox news for great britain so there are more than enough people who are supportive yeah. of trump or even if they don't admit it uh pro probably yeah, at least that's the way uh election yeah. results looked uh one year right. after well, another brexit. you could be a brexit guy i mean i didn't know and and you know the last thing i wanted to do was have i mean i'm i'm down for a political debate but the last thing i wanted to do is have a a blow up in in you know in the role-playing uh game that's that's not <laughs> that's not the place for for acrimony you know if you're going to have the acrimony just have it at the tabletop level not not in the game and you know so so i decided what i was going to do i i i i i and 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 the other thing was too um you know in terms of running the game because i didn't know people i didn't want to make it like a sandbox game or a uh uh extremely freeform game i you know i did it in the form of a road trip you're driving from here to there you have an objective you know you're kind of expected to do that uh and and then the the question was well you know where does the player agency factor in and the answer is you know well i'm you know i'm willing to be really elastic so if you guys make certain decisions i'm going to i'm going to go with it Like if you decide to go off course or to drive at night, which you were told not to, or to, I mean, you know, at the ending, there's like an accounting of America's war crimes. And if you guys had said, screw it, we're done with this, you know, I would have rolled with it. I would, I would, you know, I wasn't going to force a plot or a specific narrative on it, but I did give it a very strong structure because I wasn't sure you know, I didn't, I didn't want your, um, you know, as a, as a new player at the table to me, I didn't want you, you know, you or Aldrich flailing around being like, what, what the heck am I supposed to do? Or I can't do anything or I, you know, what does he, what does he want from me? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, so I, I tried to make it, you know, I tried to make it very easy to engage with. And I also, once I figured out what was going on, you know, once I figured out that, that you were not a Trump guy, 
um, and that you had been to America a couple of times and you, you know, you, you understood America, frankly, pretty well, but not exceptionally well. Right. Well, sorry. Like, like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, better. Than, I know. I know. <laughs> better, better, better than I would have done in England. Uh, you know, but, but, but when I, when I, when I realized that my, my thought was, you know, some of this stuff that I'm going to say, I really want to explain more. Right. Like I have, you know, I have thoughts and stuff about this. This, this, this is something that is actually meaningful to me, especially with, you know, what we're going through right now, which is like the attack on our democracy. So, so there's elements of this. I don't want to say ed- being educational because that, that, you know, sounds condescending and that really wasn't how I was thinking about it, but it was like, I'm going to be more explicit about the background ideas. So I had all those weird pictures in the first roadside hotel that you stopped in right and you know i you know you know i i i was fairly i knew that eric would know what would recognize all of those and i was pretty sure aldrich had it you know if he didn't know the guy by name you know he would recognize the material but i also knew that for you seeing those pictures would just be wildly out of context you know, those were the paintings. Yeah, of, yeah, the, those paintings which are. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> and I was like, you know, this is, you know, he's just going to think this is bizarre. You know, it's like, it's like bizarre as hell. <laughs> you know, what is this? What am I looking at? And, uh, you know, so I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit, right? It's like this guy is, is a really Americana type guy, even though he's wrong about everything. <laughs> you know, so you know so there was a bunch of stuff like that 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 you know the, the the game ran differently because it was the first time we were all playing together and you know because i wasn't sure what what everybody's level of engagement or or expectations would be and there was one there was only one thing that i did that i then wanted to pull back from um in the strip club you know, everything was kind of rated R, right? There was nothing, you know, I mean, the, 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 the 3D models I had were all clothed. Um, even the girl up on the stage had a bikini, but there was, and, and, and the, you know, the pictures on the walls were, were either neon outlines or were, you know, were, were pictures of, of, you know, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't X-rated or anything like that. But they they had these these you know because it's like the the twenty thirty two they had like these these sex simulator stations <laughs> that you could like put money into and and you know get some kind of stimulation and one of the pictures there was X rated and and so I panned the camera over there and it was like no I'm not going to do that <laughs> I'm moving it away you know and that was like that was like an X card thing like if I'd been playing with with uh. Probably if I've been playing with somebody who I got the impression, but you know, I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know how you'd react. I didn't know if you had like a significant other or kids who might see it. I just not at that time that. because that no, <laughs> what's the thing with that game I was playing kid, from one in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it was super, super late for you. I know, but I, I, I just realized that when I, I, I intentionally didn't put that stuff in there, you know, I could have done a much more, um, 
you know, X-rated strip club. <clears throat> but I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. And then I realized that part of it was, and I was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to point the camera over there. So <laughs> no, it, it, it was great. And it was an opportunity for me to, uh, I, I think I, I, I mentioned that at some point, but, uh, I, I leaned into playing one of my, uh, favorite podcasters, uh, Dan Carlin. Mm -hmm. So my, my character was Tom Balden based on Dan Carlin. And I had a, a bingo card, which is for the, the podcast, uh, Outcore History by Dan Carlin with the mm -hmm. things he keeps repeating. And I was trying to hit on the bingo card as often, uh, as I could, uh, while, um, while performing my, my own, uh, my own take on him. Well, that was uh, good. And you actually got to argue with like the, the Rush Limbaugh guy on the radio, which I thought was, you know, you did a great job with. That was really um, fun. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Oh, hang on a minute, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 right. It was, it, you know, it was, it was good. And, and I was like, is this, you know, is this going to feel like unfair because I'm like putting on him to make like a, a pro-American argument and, you know, could I make a pro-British argument that would sound reasonable or, or whatever? It's like, you know, man, I, I don't know if I could do that, but you, you know, you did a great job with it. And, you know, if you would like, like had trouble with it, I'd be like, just make some roles. You know, you've got history skill, make a role, you know, we'll, you know, your character can cover it even, but you know, you, 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 you took it and ran with it. So, you know, I thought it was really good, but, but, you know, the, the, the thing about like RPG theory is that from, you know, and uh, I'm going to call it a naive theoretical standpoint, you know, from a very basic standpoint, that was, that game would have been seen as a total railroad, right? You know, you're given an objective, you're given a route to take, <clears throat> you're given rules taken to get you there. And then you drive from point A to point B and, you know, what decisions do you really make? You make some. Yeah, no, I find I think it's, a, it's totally fair. I think the it's a bit I call that levels of curation, and I think uh, games which are more curated by game masters can be very, very good to explore other things. And that's it's a pity that they, they sometimes they, they get a bad rep under the, the terms railroading and so on. But I, sadly, I will have to cut this short because my wife okay. needs the internet. Sure. She's working okay. from no home. No problem. No, no problem. But thank you so no much problem. for joining yeah, me, Marco. Uh, so yeah. I will include a link to your website and your Twitter account. Are there other places where people can find you when you wish to be found? Um, well, I'm on Twitter as Omnivore Blog. Uh, but you know, if if um, there's some Discord servers I'm on, but uh, I would say if somebody's really interested in, in talking to me about this, just drop me a message on Twitter. Great. Yep. The messages on Twitter definitely work. As I will even include a link to all the the tweet which started it all, so people can both see the the original okay. photograph by uh, Dappermoth. Art, that's the name of that uh, CGI artist, Gina, Gina Barton. And uh, they can see how uh, uh, oh, simple it can be to say, hey, that makes me want to play a game. I would run one. Well, I would play in it. And, and then things happen. So thanks so much for, for everything, Marco. Okay, hey, no problem. We should, uh, we should do it again. Yeah, definitely. All right, cheers, bye. Thanks to okay. people in the chat room. Thanks, Dan Mother. Take care.
go check uh, all those lovely Thanks, fine people. Cheers, bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Our logo is designed by Roland Kunz. Our theme song is Playtime by Jazar, which you can download on the free music archive. A video version of this episode is available on YouTube. Please consider subscribing to our channel there. Leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you would like more Café Rollist, you can also get access to our archive of 100 or so additional episodes via Patreon. If you want to be informed of everything released by The Rollist, we have a monthly newsletter for you to join. And if you want to contribute via the chat room to one of our recordings, subscribe to our Twitch channel and social media accounts to be informed of when streams are happening. Finally, links to everything I just mentioned can be found in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening to us, and remember, you are the Rollist.